And welcome back to another episode of The Amazing City, episode something. Um, 57? Is this a Johan episode? I don't know. I don't know. But tell you what, 57. If you flip those numbers, that's... So it's it it shows a great score of yesterday, and I have to lead off with this, Jack, buddy. I have to say, I love your profile picture. I think it's the best one you've had so far. I don't want to talk about it. I would love to talk about it personally. Look, yeah, you got the third, arguably fourth string goalie in there. This is this is episode fifty-seven, by the way. Third or fourth string goalie in there. I was chatting about it with someone who also writes at Mesmerize today. I was very impressed by the Devils for 55 minutes. Yeah. Aside from about a five-minute span in the second period where they looked like one of the worst teams I've ever seen play. <laughs> and, you know, in that Pacific Division, you you got some bad teams. You got some bad teams. You, you got some bad teams once you get kind of past. Well, and they're going to continue to get worse with the Blues and the Predators. And you could say, say the same thing about the Metro. Right. With the Flyers and Columbus. There there are some bad teams. Columbus still have the worst record in the league. It's it's not all them and Anaheim have been going back and forth. Yeah. Or I, I guess think the last the, I checked, the they were. Percentage. I think Columbus had like 43 points or something like that. Something just. Yeah, Anaheim is like 44. Awful. But I mean, we're, we're just. The, the Pacific is pretty bad. <laughs> it is the NL Central of hockey. You got four good teams. Nashville selling off. St. Louis is selling off. The Coyotes sucks. Chicago sucks. Talk to you more of the AL Central. It's just the Central. It's just the Central. It it's just the, the Central. Central. You got the two most Central divisions in every sport, and they probably suck. Right. That's just... God, yeah. Philly, Columbus, Capitals are selling off. It's hard yeah, to sell off when you sell the OV, but nonetheless... Yeah, I'm not sure I understand that. I I think I'd be going for it every year. He's still there, but yeah. But it's a retool. We are not back to the sport we talk about. We are a baseball podcast, more specifically a Mets podcast, and we need to we got to talk about some stuff that's going on with the Mets. Spring training is going on. Some full swing. They're they're what seven, eight games in at this point. Um, I think it's probably easier to count the days since. They, since their first game, because some days it feels like you got three games going on. Right. So we're getting stuff from backfield minor league scrimmages, and you got the one team in Jupiter and the other team in St. Lucie. Right. Game started the 25th. Today is the second. My quick math 25, 26, 27, 28. 29. Oh, shit. 25, 6, 7, 28. One, one two. two. Six <laughs> days in. Six days in, probably eight games. Yeah. Seven or eight games. Yep. Um, who's, who's your MVP of the spring so far? From the Mets' perspective? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, it has to be Brett Beatty. I think it, it, I think it has to. What's he six for twelve with a bomb? And stellar and defense at third. He's sticking at. Well, I wouldn't say stellar. He's he's staying true to his what he was doing last year and just hitting the, the living piss out, the piss out of the ball. That that you championed with that movement. What fifteen to twenty extra pounds of muscle that he added on. Well, I mean, you you were championing that championing that movement before the Correa stuff. I remember we had an episode on here around when Mike came on. And I was telling them, I was like, they're done, they're done, they're not going to go after Correa, like, they're not going to go and try and trade for Devers, like, they're done. Right. They're 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 going to roll with Escobar and Beatty, and you started championing this movement. You know, Brett Beatty hits the piss out of the baseball, and you, you're you the one who points out to me from the time he was active, so when he gets called up before he hits the IL on the 31st, no one was hitting the ball harder in baseball. Right. We're not just talking the Mets. We're talking the baseball, and you got some dudes. <laughs> you got some dudes. 
I mean, Giancarlo Stanton isn't always hitting the ball, but when he does, but when he does, I mean, the fucker's going a long way. Yeah, <laughs> it's going out very fast. I mean, Aaron Judge, Jose Ramirez, like you got these guys who are constantly sitting. Trout, like all right, like you, you got a bunch of dudes, even McNeil for the most part, who are constantly sitting like 105, 110 at their exit velos. Right. But Brett Pete Beatty, Alonzo, for, I mean, shit. Brett Beatty for that month long period was hitting the ball hardest out of anyone in baseball. Yeah, so I'm so I'm not surprised. Even his his first official at bat of spring, he hits yeah. a tank to the batter's eye. Yeah, and if we're kind of the the inner squad before that, he went what three for three. Yeah, did he go deep over Scherzer? <laughs> well, I I don't put too much weight in that. Cause remember last I year, do Dom I. Smith do I, took Scherzer still. deep twice. Uh, and I was like, oh my god, Dom's back! And it was the last homer Dom hit before he went point. yard. That was the last homer Dom hit before he started going yard for Syracuse. Yeah, in like September, right. The uh the going yard off Scherzer was uh, doesn't have the best stories attached to it. No, and I, I, that's that's a salient point. But I mean, <laughs> not not to ruin the role you were. Yeah, on. He's going oppo. He's hitting the gaps. He's pulling the ball. He's going to center. It, everything is loud. Everything is loud. So I'm very curious to see how he does, especially after all the players leave from WBC in a couple of days. Well, when he gets more about- playing time, more starting playing time. Here's my I'm thing just, about I know it's spring, but I'm getting excited right. watching Brett Beatty. Obviously, you want the ball to be loud, but you're also very concerned. You you want not concerned isn't the right word, but a huge important area that you're looking at then is what's happening. What is he doing when he's not hitting the ball loud? Right. He's got a strong approach. He's a, he's willing to take his walk and get on base, which is a huge thing when you're looking at the overall development. Just putting the ball in play. Putting the ball in play being willing to get on base by any means. Yeah. Because that's that's what this team is built on. I mean, if the Mets, I feel like if the Mets could have three more Mark Cannos on their roster, they would take it. They oh, absolutely yeah. would. This is a team that's built on everyone get on, everyone move your station. Got two or three big boppers in the lineup to do it. Yeah. Who can drive everyone in and clean everything up. And that's what, that's he's what shown, this team is built on. But he can do both. A willingness and just to, to kind of, some will compare him to the other top hitting prospects in the organization with Vientos, Alvarez, and uh, Mauricio. He's shown that willingness to take that one-two pitch and just put it in play to try to get a run in. I feel like, especially with Alvarez, he's more of a, I don't want to say he's more all or nothing, but he keeps his approach. He keeps his approach and he's more prone to chasing and striking out when you're trying to get that man home from third with less than two outs. No, absolutely. I feel like, He's got a good command on of the third, zone. less than you know, less than two outs. Eighty percent of the time, he's going to get that run home. No, and I mean, like even like when you're looking at Alvarez, like he brought up, like he's willing to take his walk, he's willing to get on base. But like I remember when he got to the Eastern League, I mean, he got up to the trip to Triple A, the East Division. They were pitching around him. He was hitting like two ten because he wasn't right. getting a lot of great pitches, but he was still right. getting on to like a 340, 350 clip. Yeah, because he was willing to take his walk and get on base. It was a huge improvement you need to see. You know, we saw that in spurts from Alex Ramirez. You know, we see Brett Beatty have no problem with that. We struggle to see that with guys like Vientos and Mauricio. Right. Because that's not entirely in their mold as a player. Right. But Brett Beatty is going to prolong the at-bat on two strikes. He's not going to he's gonna strike out, but he's not going to strike out nearly as much. He'll be a much, tef- a much tougher strikeout in those spots than you see Vientos, Alvarez, yeah. Ramirez, Mauricio. You know, guys, where it's you're really in a hole one two because you don't entirely have the barrel control to be able to 
keep yourself alive. Right. Brett Beatty does. Right. So, I mean, and I think one of the great things about Beatty is he has such a wide net for his offensive profile. Mm-hmm. You know, like like I was alluding to, you know, those two, three, four big boppers you have to clean the bases. He can be one of those guys. He will have major league seasons where he hits 30 home runs. I don't doubt that. I'm pretty confident on that. But I'm, you could also easily convince me he has seasons he hits 15. You know, his profile is so unique and diverse that it's really something that I don't see a lot of. Mm-hmm. And even then looking at his profile as a whole, you know, the whole talk of him in left field and the guys in the MLB pipeline pod pointed this out not too long ago. Someone asked a great question. But wonder who that guy was. Oh, it, it definitely didn't spur in a five-minute conversation about Hall of Fame basketball coach Dr. Jack Ramsey. <laughs> but you um the, the athleticism he possesses and the arm he has. That's why you hear talk about him being able to play left field. Right. Not because he can't cut it at third. This isn't like Mike Napoli can't cut it behind the place they move him the first. Right. Like Joe Maurer is getting old, they move him the first. That's Mark not Vientos what just can't cut it anywhere, so they hide him at first. Right, or they DH him. Like, this isn't that. This isn't that at all. Right. This is – he's incredibly athletic. He's lanky. He's fast. He's got a good arm. Mm-hmm. He could handle left field the same way sure. he can handle third base. And I think when you're comparing the two third basemen the Mets have right now, you have a kind of like a shorter, more compact and built guy in Escobar mm-hmm. and somewhat of a taller, lankier, more, more agile guy in Beatty. Sure. And they're two very different profiles defensively. And when you start to look into the numbers from Escobar last year, they were not good at third base. There were very few third basemen in baseball that were worse than Escobar defensively. You know, you kind of look into the projections and what people believe you will see out of Brett Beatty. You know, Fangraphs has a 55 defensive grade on him. You know, that's on a 20 to 80 scale with a 50 being a solid score. Listen, 50 is about the mean. He if, is a if you're looking at 45 defender. Well, I mean, I'm like a 45 to 50 grade is average. That is sure. an average player. 40 is solidly below average. 45, you're on the low side of average. 50, you're on a little bit high side of that. Mm-hmm. 55, you are firmly an above average player at what you do. So 55 defensive grade is pretty good. Especially for a guy who coming out the draft, there were questions of, all right, is he a first baseman? Is he a third baseman? We have to stick right. in the outfield. Is he right. a DH? Like, is he going to have to two-way a little bit? You know, because he, he was a good pitcher in high school. So there some thought. And so I remember some conversations. I don't know how found this was, more so just speculation. Like, if you can't cut it defensively, are you going to have to like go Tani him a little bit? Mm. You know, just to, uh, and obviously a lot of those guys who end up one of those sides fizzle out in the minors. But there was legitimate concern and a lot of it about where he was going to play defensively. Right. And last year, he killed all that concern. Yeah. If Brett Beatty was not a competent defender at third base, at third base he would not be a top 25 prospect in baseball. I agree. Simple as that. I agree. Because when he was sitting 60s, 70s, 80s, when no one knew where he was going to play. Now he's sitting 20s, 30s, teens with scouts and evaluators believing that he will be a solid long-term third baseman. Yeah, I'm I'm not worried about his defensive profile at third. We know how his hitting profile looks and what it projects to be. I think he's one of those guys where he's going to have a very, a, a very nice hopefully 10 to 12 year career. And he's one of those guys where you look at, and again, kind of, kind of comparing 
him to the other top hitting prospects in the organization, he may not have the highest ceiling, but I think he has the highest floor. Yes. Right? Like, you, no, you yes. almost, there are the you almost for know Alex what you're going to get out of him. Meanwhile, Francisco Alvarez, he can kind of go one way or the other. Ronnie Mauricio could, he's the definition of could go superstar or he can kind of dud out. Vientos, no. I don't know. I, I know Vientos it's spring and it's early, is... and but just from the at-bats he had last year, and I know he's young and he can make adjustments and he can improve as a player and as a hitting profile, it defensive profile. I've gotten somewhat concerned about Mark Vientos. I think that's fair. You know, I, I, there, there might be a world where Alex Ramirez flames out in double A. There might be a world where Ronnie Mauricio is about to go hit 200 with a 600 OPS in Syracuse this year. And he becomes a DFA candidate in the fall to open up a 40 man spot. Mark Vientos, if he struggles and just becomes kind of a quad A guy, could be a like a player to be named later like candidate. He could, be, Once he could again, himself I, become a DFA candidate. I'm but I'm the thing is when you're looking at shocked he's even on the roster. I thought he was almost a, a bona fide lock to be traded in the offseason. Well, even when we were looking at the deadline, it was like the Mets have a plan for Mark Vientos if they don't trade him. And they brought in the guy who has the same profile. Right. In terms of being a righty DH who can hit lefties well, play first and third. Mainly first, but and, you know, I think him playing a lot of first base really kind of shows you what they think of him. They're pretty done with Played him. At one third. game at third, and it was not good. No, I mean they're fairly done with him at third. And not that these are showcases, but if he can build up legitimate value at first base. You know, the Mets aren't going to replace Pete Alonzo with him. Right. But, you know, the Cubs might replace Eric Hosmer with him. The Reds might replace Joey Votto with him. You know, the the Rockies might replace CJ Crone with him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I you want to find a spot where you can build up this value. Sure. But I can guarantee you it's not third base, and it's probably not with the Mets. I wouldn't be shocked if he's dealt at the end of camp. Sometimes we see lower end moves like that, you know, because if the Mets seem to be hell bent on maintaining flexibility, and that's another thing we're going to go into when we talk about the bullpen inevitably, because it's hard to talk about spring training and not talk about the bullpen. Right. But if they're going to maintain roster flexibility, they're going to want open 40 man spots. And I think Mark Vientos is at the biggest, he's one of the guys at the biggest risk for it. You know, you, you opened up a spot with Cleo Lee. But that turns into Sam Coonrod, who has looked pretty good. But the Mets are probably going to want to open up another one at some point just to have that flexibility for a trade, free agent signing. You've got to bring a guy up off a minor league deal because someone hits up hits a 15-day DL. Right. IL. Like I and I think Mark Vientos is someone who in some sort of trade could be in danger. And just, and I think you made the point, like his most viable position being third base, he hasn't looked good. He's never looked good. And this one game this spring did not look good. I said one thing in, in a group chat, just like friends and everything. And I couldn't believe that I said it, but once I, I, I still, I stand by it. Mark Vientos at third makes J.D. Davis look like a gold glover. 
Oh, like you remember that, how bad like that's Todd how Davis's second stint was? That's how rough it is to again. He's young. He can improve. He can improve defensively. And and the Mets have shown. And there's a ton of time. And oh, he'll yeah. get he'll get Syracuse reps. Right. The Mets I have mean, shown I, that they're good at improving uh, defensive profiles. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to yeah, like find the word for it. Pete Alonso was bad defensively when he came, when he got drafted. He was bad defensively. Brett Beatty yes. wasn't great defensively. Ronnie Mauricio still isn't great, but he's improved from what he was when he got drafted or when he was signed. The Mets are, are good at developing these prospects, these young kids into... I mean, shit, Jeff McNeil can above average play four different spots. There you go. No, I mean, I think there is... I, th- I think there's concern. I'm definitely concerned. Yeah. I'm not I'm not From quite saying I've... I'm not ready to say he's a DFA candidate, but if there's a trade to be made, he's probably the first name out the door. Look, I mean, they overplayed their cards at the, at the deadline. You know, trying to pass him off as some top 100 guy with some insane ceiling like the next great DH, the next Nelly Cruz. They should have taken what they could have got for him. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Because he's a mediocre run in AAA away from being a DFA candidate. And the p- lack of positional value kills him. Right. And it's, uh, I am concerned. I I don't, I will, I am placing him under bust watch. Yeah. I, I know it's we not keep a saying it's early, yet. it's early, it's, it's early. It's on watch. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you know, you see the hurricane forming in the tropics. You see it getting towards like Cuba, you know, Bermuda, Bahamas. You see it. Listen, it could swing towards the coast and he could be just fine. Absolutely veer off towards Europe. He can can end up being a 25, 30 home run guy, hit 270 and be a a meh defender. But right now you are looking at the warning signs. I, I am officially placing Mark Vientos under bust watch. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, is he on a on a WBC roster? Yes. Venezuela? Maybe. I can't remember. I don't think he's on the same Nicaragua. I think it's Nicaragua. Hmm. Are we both googling this at the same time? We sure are. We could have you look it up because you're. There's no need to. to Mark Gantos is on Team Nicaragua. Nicaragua, okay. So he'll probably play there. He'll probably get third base reps. I wouldn't be shocked. But there's far more concern about him than with Brett Beatty at third. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you like a ranking of who I'm most concerned about. Number one is far and away Mark Vientos. Right. A distant, but not too distant number two is Ronnie Mauricio. Right. Because I was talking about this in the chat the other day of prospect nerds. And the concern with Mauricio right now is he is the same player heading into 2023 that he was heading into 2021. He is just older, and with that comes being bigger and more filled out. Mm -hmm. So the power 
and hitting piss out of the ball does not shock me. Right. Like, but also when you're getting served dick high, it's impressive. Ups, and, and, and it's high. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, I mean, you also, you got to factor in the quality of pitching he's facing. Sure. I, I understand. The, these are, I mean, he's hitting these all in the late innings. So these are double A, triple A, class A guys. I mean, and every fastball he's getting is pointed out by Jarrett Seidler of baseball perspective. The fastball he's, he's hit out have been flat fastballs at the top of the zone with no movement, which is the but most predictable him, pitch known to man. He's hitting, you know, like you said, he's hitting double A and triple A guys, but which he should. In his defense, that's that's probably the, the level he'll be starting the season at. Yeah, he'll be starting the year triple A. So I guess the thing I'm more so saying is, his spring has not answered any questions for me because he has still looked bad defensively. He's, still, he's showing he, a willingness to just walk looks a little bit lost. more. He's showing a, a willingness to walk a little bit more. He's got what one? I've seen at least two. But hey, that's still two. <laughs> but I, I think the thing is, I mean, if you're looking at like an eight, six, seven game sample size, it's yeah, he's going to walk two times in six games sometimes. But then he might go 30 games with one. Right. And that's the thing is the consistency of being able to have the same approach. It's like we were I talking understand. about before we came on. It's like sometimes he's going up there like he's playing MLB the show. And he correctly guessed the pitch zone. So he got the flashing red. And he's like, fuck it. I'm swinging no matter what. And then he's swinging at a curveball that bounces in front of the plate. Mm-hmm. So. To me, he needs to be able to show that if he goes through droughts, it's not just an automatic out at the plate every time. Right. I mean, that's what killed TJ Rivera's career. I was wrong. He, Ronnie Mauricio has one walk, so I'll I'll retract that statement. <laughs> I mean, think think about TJ Rivera. The right. dude could hit the ball anywhere. Sure. Great back control, played a couple spots decently. Cool story. But when he was slumping. He was an automatic out every time. Right. You need to, like, that was one of my favorite things about Michael Conforto specifically. Is Conforto was able to recognize, I am off. I am not doing it. So he was just, he, it's like he was going up there just like, I'll get on base. I'm just going to walk. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't looking for a walk, but he was very willing to take it. Right. You know, a lot of guys struggle with that. It's like, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to go up here right now and break my slump. Or, Conforto was always willing to just go up there, but like, you know what? I still got to get on base. I'm paid to get on base. I got to get on base. Right. So, he, and he still he took a lot more walks when he was slumping, and that's even something about Beatty. Is Beatty's willing to take his walks? <laughs> Alvarez is willing to take his walks, and I don't think we see that with Mauricio. Number three on my bust morning, a very very distant third is I'll put Alvarez over Beatty, just because if Alvarez does, cannot yeah. stick behind the plate, you're yeah. looking at a platoon. Either a phenomenal platoon DH or just a pretty good full time DH. Mm-hmm. But the value of hitting 30 homers as a catcher with 120 OPS plus is vastly different from an 120 OPS plus and 30 homers as a DH. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would be shocked if Beatty mm-hmm. is anything less than like a minimum eight to 10 good years starting caliber guy. Decent pop, decent defense, mm-hmm. good eye. I, I, I'd be very surprised. Like, I'm probably higher on Brett Beatty than a lot of different people. I'm getting I, there, man. I just, I, 
I don't think I, I don't see anything he does wrong. And there's nothing about him where I look at him I'm like, all right, if he doesn't figure that out, it's not gonna work. Right. He's he doesn't have any of that. Look, I mean, if, if you opening day roster a guy that's ranked in the top 100 by two of ESPN baseball prospectus, ESPN Baseball America and MLB Pipeline. Mm-hmm. If you make at least two of those top 100 lists, and you're on the opening day roster, and you oh, win forget top 100, year, top 20 consideration. Right. But I'm saying point. if you're on those top 100 lists, right? At least two of them. You're on the opening day roster, and you win Rookie of the Year. Your team gets a pick right after the first round. Mariners are picking 29th in draft this year, an extra first round pick basically hmm. because the opening day rostered Julio, and he went on to win Rookie of the Year. Right. Look, I mean, Brett Beatty is probably the best third baseman the Mets have right now, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not sure it's terribly close. Look, I don't hate the argument. I, I'm not sure it's terribly close. Because <laughs> I think a full season of Brett Beatty defensively will at the worst break even with the rest of the league. Because, and and I hate to kind of beat a dead horse with this opinion. And we love Paul. We love Paul. Yeah, that's our guy. But we saw what he was last year. There are times where he's he's three to four outs a game. That's no, what and he we, is. And we but talked about it in times, the But then there are times where... Over a course of one week, he's driving in 13, 14 runs. I mean, and he, knocking four he home personally runs. beat the Marlins one game. One game. He drove in one what, five runs. <laughs> he the Mets won like five to four, and he drove in all five runs. Yeah. Is that the month of Escobar game? September was the month of Escobar. Granted, the Mets well, kind of got bailed out that all... game because Blyer balked four times in one inning. But but April through August was the months of anyone but Escobar. There was a good two to three week stretch, and I think July, where he was, you couldn't get him out. That's when he had the cycle mixed in there. He was, he had a couple two home run games. He was insane, but it was almost like it was somewhat reminiscent of Jonathan VR, where VR would have strings where he was one of the most exciting players in baseball to watch because you never knew what he was going to do, including, you know, base running blunders and just being an absolute lunatic. But outside of that, there are times where he's going to go 0 for 23. Escobar, I don't think he ever had a stretch that bad, but he had, he was prone to three for 17, four for 24, stuff like that. And then he had the occasional, I'm going to go 15 for my last 15. I'm pulling up his numbers right now. Brett Beatty, I feel like... I feel like he'll be Conforto-esque in the sense of when he's 0 for 20, he's going to have seven walks mixed in there. And listen, if you're getting on base, you're and doing You're your taking job. that. And you that was my problem that. with Darren Ruff. That was my problem with Darren Ruff last year. He just... He sucked. That was your problem? I had a lot of problems with Darren Ruff last year. But when he was going 0 for 25, he didn't it, walk. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was some of the worst baseball you can imagine watching. He didn't walk. He didn't play the field. So he was useless. Brett Beatty were, and I also feel like, and listen, we don't know this because we haven't really seen him for an extended stretch of time in the big league level, but he kind of seems like just from the mental state that we've seen from him, he doesn't seem like, okay, I'm 0 for 8 my last 18. I'm going to bring my struggles into the field. That's not, I, I don't, I don't perceive Brett Beatty to be that guy. Here's some Escobar splits for you. Okay. OPS is by month, April 805. Fine. May 594. Mm. 
June 596. But July, he got up to 707. He had back-to-back months with an OPS under 600. Oh, I haven't gotten to August yet. August was a 457. Oh, my God. What was July? 707. Uh, Major League average last year was around 700. So it was like 737. September was a fucking 1.042. He <laughs> was the best player in baseball in September. No, I, I, I it, it, <laughs> June, July, and August, he had in total 28 RBIs. September and October, he had 25. He had eight homers that month. August, Dude, he, he was, was zero. He was on crack in September. He was just, he was out of his mind. It, it was fucking insane. That's still my guy. And you know what? No matter what, he's proud of you. Dude, we have somehow he's spent like 20 minutes on our first topic. <laughs> We still have more. Well, I mean, we basically covered the baby Mauricio we were going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay, well, let's let's shift gears a little bit to part of the spring training impressions I want to talk about. Yeah. Got two guys who have very much impressed me. Okay. I know roster bubble is more of like an NFL thing. Mm-hmm. It's more of an NFL term, two, I, I think it's so two guys on what firm, you need. Yeah. Two guys who are firmly on the bubble of the Mets opening day roster. Bryce Montes de Aca, John Curtis. Okay, I wasn't. I, I didn't know we were going to go over the second. John one. Hoping... Curtis has looked phenomenal. Yeah, there is a there is an argument to be made. Look, Robertson's damn near forty. Ottavino had some issues with the pitch clock and runners and all that, and he always has issues with runners anyway. He's also thirty seven. He's thirty seven. Drew Smith is elite, but meh at times. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. There Not is my a... Drew Smith. There is a good chance that the Mets. This is the hottest take we'll get out of me all year. By July, John Curtis will be the Mets' main setup man. Wow, I think if I, if he is healthy, you're looking at a slightly better version of them of what John Curtis was at his peak in Miami. And his peak in Miami was one of the better setup men and middlemen in baseball. So I mean, like we, we saw it. For as bad as some of those Mets teams were, John Curtis shoved it up their ass for a couple of years. Yeah. Granted, a lot of pitchers were when he was in Miami, but he has looked phenomenal. And Jacob Resnick put this out earlier at Montez. Was John Curtis in Tampa for a little bit? No. Are you thinking of Richard Springs? Jeffrey Springs. Are you sure he wasn't in Tampa? I don't think he was. Do you think maybe, unless maybe he was part of that Joey Wendell trade? It's going to bother me. But as for Montes de Aca, Jacob Resnick put this out earlier. He threw a pitch 101 today that had 21 inches of vertical movement. Of the 400,000 pitches thrown in baseball last year. No he one was in Tampa. That. He was? He was. He was in Tampa for a whopping 17 games. Well, there you go. He pitched to a 1.8 in Tampa. Goddamn. What? Well, that's Tampa for you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he had an ERA plus. Of two thirty. Oh man, but yeah, yeah. I was really hoping to kind of piggyback on your Bryce Montes Diaca. This is what I was hoping we would see from him: electric stuff. He still kind of has the 
I didn't get to see his full inning today, but he still doesn't have full control over the baseball is going. But I think that's also just because his stuff is so disgusting. Like you said, he had, he threw a pitch that was what one oh two that had 20, 21 inches of movement. That's not normal, first of all, and that's no. hard to control. I told you like that. That's four hundred thousand pitches in baseball last year. No one else was able to do that. Edwin Diaz did not throw that type of pitch. He reminds me a little bit of not in, in necessarily in terms of their move, like their their pitching motion or anything like that, but in terms of just the, their stuff and overall control. Going to Philly, and think of, um, Sir Anthony Dominguez. No, uh, Alvarado, Jose Alvarado, but from the right side. Were stuff disgusting. You can't replicate it. He, they're like their stuff is one of one, but they don't There's know no, where the ball is going. My my uh, Mike Mayer made the point today in the chat. I'm in. Montes de Yaco without control is still a major league quality arm. I agree. Montes de Yaco with control, and you're looking at one of the better relievers in baseball. This is another reason why I can't get upset about. And we're going back to last year with the trade deadline of um, trading the reliever for Vogelbach. The hell was his name? Holderman. Holderman hit 99 today for Pittsburgh. Great! (laughs) Montesiaka hit 102. (laughs) What just happened to your voice? I got very excited. You sounded like Squeak from uh, Toy Story. Oh, man. What a movie. Talking about Wheezy? That's my guy. Wheezy, that's him. It's my guy. I love Wheezy. That's a good movie. God, elite movies. There's five coming out, right? Yeah, sure is. I don't know why, but I'm going to watch the crap out of it. Oh, yeah. I'll be there opening night. I'll yeah. probably be questioning why I'm going in at age 20. I won't question it. I'm going to be 28. Nah. Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah. But like, no, I they, they've both looked really good. And what what we're hearing on Curtis is he's healthy and he's, he's confident, which are yeah. two major things coming off Tommy John. Right. I think a lot of times people don't talk about it's just you know how much is this guy trusting his own stuff right now? Right. You know it's 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 like not not to compare it to the yips, but like you know once once you get once you lose that confidence, sometimes it's really tough to get it back. Mm-hmm. And granted, these are major league quality relievers, but if you're John Curtis, if this Mets thing doesn't work out, I don't know how many more chances you're getting. Sure. So I mean, you want confidence, you want health. He looked really sharp in his first inning. He's looked sharp all of camp. If we're doing like a bubble meter type thing with outside looking in on the bubble, inside looking out, John Curtis is probably on the inside looking out right now. Yeah, and considering you have three spots up for grabs. Right, and especially since in all likelihood, I think both Peterson and McGill looks like are probably starting in AAA just to get, you know, and I'd argue Lucchese too. Because Lucchese's probably still doing an active roster rehab. Exactly. And I Eliezer Hernandez does not look good. No. <laughs> William Woods is off the 40 man. We haven't we've seen minimal of Jeff Brigham so far. Zach Green's look solid. He's look good. Yeah. And he has stuff working in his favor. Right. Mainly being that if he's also a rule five guy. Right. So he has to the, be on the roster. He has the contractual obligations in his favor. I mean, they can always just return him to the Yankees. Right. So I'd say he's probably more firmly on the bubble. Have we seen Elliot, anything of Ridings? That was my next point, Stephen Ridings. Haven't seen him yet. You know, and he he was pretty badly hurt for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. 
So you do wonder if maybe that's part of it. You know, I don't want to speculate injury, but right. You know, it's possible there's something there. But going back to your last point about Curtis, he hasn't thrown a major league inning since 2021. No, and it's not, not because I'm... he was in the minors or anything. He's been hurt. Imagine not going to your job for two years and then you just have to come right back to it. And, You're going to have some confidence your issues. job back. Right. It's You're not like he's just showing back up. He, he's got to win his job back. Right. In a, in, a, in a new team with new bosses, new evaluators. And, and a lot of pressure. Expectations. It's not like he's trying to do this for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's not like he's trying to do this for the Cincinnati Reds. I'm going to keep on picking on the Central teams. It's not like he's doing this for one of those guys. Hell, it's the not Tigers, like he's doing it for yeah. the Texas Rangers. He's doing this for a Mets team who's expected to win 95 to 100 games and push for World Series title. We said it before in, in one of the most recent episodes. Talked about it last episode. It was last World series or bust. There, there has never been a team with more pressure to win a World Series than the 2023 New York Mets. You could argue ever. I that's I, I'm agreeing. Yeah, without question. So it's it's impressive to see what he's done. And again, it's March second. Right. He could he could go out next inning next time and get his pits lit. He can he can go he out there on runs. opening day and I can't remember the guy's name. Um, the guy that pitched for the Nationals a few years ago, he went like a full month of getting an out. He can have that kind of string. But oh God, I forgot. Who that so was. far, he's oh done well. No, and I mean it's what it's what you want to see. It's what you want to see. I mean, even like it's. I mean, it's, it's the same deal as what the Blue Jays are doing with uh, Chad Green right now. Sign him to a two-year deal. I forgot that happened. Yeah. No, sign him to a two-year deal, rehab him year one, get him in your system rehabbing the way you want to rehab him. He comes back on a basically a one-year deal, but you're getting the chance to see him first and rehab him first. If you don't like what you're seeing, you decline the team option. The Red Sox it's, did that with Paxson. I think the Twins did that with Pineda smart. a few years back. It's smart. It's absolutely. Because now the Mets are in a spot where they have John Curtis, who still has an option. Right. And they can make it work. So I, it, it's going to be very interesting. I definitely think he's, he's on the he's inside. only 29. Yeah, I mean he's still pretty young. You could argue he's definitely on the inside looking out right now. Yeah, I mean Montez de Aca might be in that same sphere. I mean, you, you, I'd say you probably have Negosic and Green more so on the inside looking out than on the bubble, just considering their contractual situations. Right. You know Negosic no options and he looked okay. Green Rule Five he's looked okay. Eliezer Hannes didn't look good. Grant Hartwig has looked great. He's looked solid. He's looked I very think good. he's he's a lot closer to the bubble than people think. I think if the Mets decide to go the route of returning Green to the Yankees, then I think the third reliever I'm taking North with Montes de Aca and um and Curtis is probably Zach Green or shit, probably Grant Hartwig. Look, and I I'm one of the biggest Grant Hartwig fans there is. I think he's a legitimate major league reliever for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he somehow went from a UDFA sitting 92-93 to sitting 96-97 with the, yeah. some filthy off-speed pitches. I think he's got a boatload of potential, and he he could also be in the same spot of like Curtis, where you know three, four months in, he's seeming a lot more important than he did in camp. And here's the thing, just with the the relief reliever position and just the the all the injuries that happened in the bullpen and the volatility of the bullpen. All these names we're saying, we'll be seeing every single one of these guys 
this year with the active roster in 2023. Oh, the Mets will probably push 15, 14 relievers this year. I don't I mean, know they the had number a week of stuff last, last year, but I mean, they had, they had a week last year where they called someone up and DFA'd the previous guy every day. Yeah. You know, they called up guy A on day one. Day two, they DFA'd guy A, called up, they called up guy B. Day three, DFA'd guy B, called up guy C. Like, no, but you also don't want to be in a spot where you have to go out and give multi-year deals and considerable money to relievers every year. They're not going to run out a $375 million payroll every year. They're not going to be incurring $500 overall every year. Right. $500 million overall. Like That's just not feasible. It's not what they're going to do. Not sustainable. And effect, at some point, have... it's going to affect your team. You're going to lose draft picks. You're going to lose international slot money. That's something that this team cares about because they want to build the farm system. They want to build this, the young guys. I mean, their top, like, all minimal of their top 10 has been built off trades. Alvarez, homegrown. Beatty, right. homegrown. Mauricio, homegrown. Vientos, Jet, Tidwell, Parada. These guys are all homegrown. Even down to the Hamill, Ziegler, Allen, Vassal. I mean, their best pro. I don't even know who their best prospect is that they acquired in a trade. Let's look that up. I don't know if there is one. I'm I mean, just for going a while off it was of, Khalil uh, Lee. Right. And that's okay, what I'm So Alvarez, Beatty, Parada, Ramirez, Williams, Mauricio, Vientos, Tidwell, Ziegler, Allen are their top 10. Those are all homegrown. No, yeah. I mean, looking at my own personal top 10. Their best prospect that they traded for. Zach Green is at 25. He might be the first one. Zach Green is the first one. Genuinely. And unless I'm just being stupid and I'm really missing someone. Their best prospect there that they traded for or acquired externally on my rankings is former top prospect Mateo Gill at 56. And yes, I do have a top 56 for my Mets prospects. Right you're now. insane. I am. You're insane. But yeah, Mateo Gill, rule five. They care deep. I mean, then their last IFA class was really good. They have a lot of good guys hitting the FCL this year. They've done so well with that. Yeah. No, it, it's going to be important. And yeah, you're right. You know, even put in, in, you can't bank on these deals every year because we know how volatile relievers are. I mean, with the new rules and his inability to hold runners, Adam Ottavino could be a liability at times, especially with the fact that that, that you're banking on him maintaining career best walk numbers for a guy that struggled with control his whole career. I mean, he could be number five, number six on the depth chart by the end of the year. You never know. And you I don't think so, Robert, right? But, but you, you could be looking in a world where like Curtis Robertson, Rayleigh. Smith and Diaz are all ahead of them in the pecking order. Right. But then it's also a matter of, well, if he's your fifth guy, then you're in a damn good spot too. Right. It's like, it's, it's like when you would say like, all right, well, if you're, you're the Mets and you're starting, you know, you're starting David Peterson in big games in August. You're like, ah, God, this could be really bad. Or you're like, oh, you know, like he might've finally turned it around. Figured it out. And thankfully for the Mets, it was the second one and he figured it out. Mm-hmm. But do we hard pivot now? We do need to transition a little bit. I'm moving my table back. But I'm you know, I want to I want to ha- ask you one more thought on spring training overall, not just sole Mind player you, or little little self plug. I am applied to go down and cover the game against team 
Nicaragua in the ninth, I believe. I think it's Team Nicaragua. It could be Team Venezuela. I'm applied to go cover that. I am applied to go cover that. So I might be down at St. Lucie this time next week. So that's exciting. Keep keep your eyes off for that. But I want to self love. Just get your overall thoughts on some of the new rules that have been implemented with the with the pitch clock and the automatic strike and ball and the bigger bases and all that. I'm I'm curious to see your reaction because this is somewhere I think we somewhat differ on. And I'm I'm not. I hate pulling rank. But I will always pull the I covered 10, 15, 20 minor league games last year. Mind you, the team that went on to win the Florida State League title. I only saw one player get an automatic strike call in them. Mm-hmm. And it was Alex Ramirez. Coincidentally enough, the top prospect that played in the FSL last year. Right. Um, We've already seen a good amount of it happening this year. Right. And the thing I'm going to point out about the Red Sox Braves game, and if we get a certain guest on soon, we will make sure to ask him about this. We don't know. Things are up in the air. But, you know, you're in the ninth. These are guys who played with the pitch clock last year. Right. Right. You notice he was immediately running the first because he thought there was a violation called on the pitcher that would have resulted in an automatic ball that would have given him a walk. Yeah. So he knows the rule because he's acting instinctually on it. But look, I kind of understood what the guy was saying, though. It's like the good catcher rule. was still standing up. But that's the letter of the rule: is the catcher is eight seconds, the batter is seven. That extra, it. that extra second, it might not feel like a lot, but it can be. Right. And look, again, like you might want to harp on that specific situation all you want. One, never going to happen in real life. How many times in the NFL is a play clock on zero on the score bug? And there's, they give them an extra two, three seconds. No one wants to see a fucking delay a game. It's all the time. It's all the Look, time. The rules can be called very harshly in spring training. So guys figure it out. That's probably what teams want. Look, call it down the line. The second hits zero, call it so we figure it out. Right. But if we're in June, that's going to be walked back. If we're in September and the Mets are in Atlanta playing for the division title, that's, that's not going to happen. Now, if you're still four or five seconds later, follow the fucking rule. <laughs> Like at that point, that's on you, right? You know, like like if Daniel Jones is still looking at his wristband four seconds after the play clock expires, he deserves a delay a game called, right? You deserve it at that point. And there's going to be leeway, but if you try and take advantage of leeway and you try and test that leeway, that's when it's going to get called. So mm-hmm. if I had to guess, guys will probably try and test that leeway in like late May, early June, once you're settled into things, and we'll probably see stuff like that, you know, but. It happened to Machado. Hasn't happened to him again since. You know that, and that's how this is probably going to go. Right, guys are going to learn the hard way, and it's embarrassing. You know, yeah, when I saw it happen to Alex Ramirez, he put his head down and he walked back, like because you got nothing to say. Well, the clock was going too fast. You know, the umpire was like, "We can all see it. Everyone in the press box, we all saw it. <laughs> yeah, we all saw the clock on double zeros. He got called for it, or not? We all we also saw the clock on seven seconds, and he was just getting his foot in the box." He wasn't even anywhere near ready. He deserved to have that called on him. Didn't see it happen again. Right. And I saw probably 180, 200 innings of minor league ball this last year. Right. Didn't happen again after that. It, but if it continuously happens like that, that's on no one but you yourself. And the, the bigger bases, I have no opinion. If it's a health thing, it's a health thing. I trust the doctors and the medical experts who have said, if you increase the bases by three inches each way, yeah, I like I like the bigger bases because of the overall health thing. Like 
and it's gonna it's gonna incentivize stolen bases. And with the pickoff rule, we might see a dude like John Birdie might steal 70, 80 bases this year. Right. You know, and if, and that brings value to a guy like Tim LaCastro, who who hits better than Travis Jankowski did last year and is one of the fastest men on the planet. No, right. I mean, like you're I think you're gonna five stolen bases in spring training. Base stealing is going to be back. It'll be incentivized. Yeah. And that specifically will be good for the game. That's what sure. you want to see. It's more action. Um, you brought up ABS. It's it's a good concept. So the way it works is you have enough. You you have these filters that are. You ha- you have the filters that are not filters. You have readers mm-hmm. on posts through the stadium. They're small enough that you don't see them at all. And they triangulate a reading. They triangulate a reading all the way around, I think, up past the bases a little bit, but not terribly far. So you have basically as far back as the pitcher's arm could go all the way through to the plate. You have a guy up in the press box, headset on and a mic. He can talk with the home plate umpire. He's also holding a tablet. That receives that triangulated signal with a drawn out batter's box. I yeah, it's like game his, day. I stood over his shoulder and watched him do it. Yep, I've seen it before as well. The umpires loved it because I mean, yes, we're taking out a little bit of the human factor of the human fact, but it's, it's a human factor of mistake. Which like, I don't think anyone. Loved, uh, I'm like, a boring old man. I, I, I like the human factor of the game. I guess, but boring. Like, Look, I mean, the way the minor leagues did it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Humans called the game. Well, there are no games Monday, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, humans called the game. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they had ABS working. With ABS, you have three ball strike. I think you have four ball strike challenges a game. I think three. It might be three on each side. Yeah. You have three on the mound, three at the plate. Yeah. Look, Rachel Balkovich never used them. She never used them. The Tarpons, the one in the uh, Yankees organization, correct? Yes, the Tarpons, Tarpons never challenged the call. They were notorious for it because people were mad. They're like, "What the fuck is the point of trying this out if you're not going to use it?" That's fair. And Rachel defended it. She was like, "Look, this isn't something we want to use." And I don't know if that was just the Tarpon specific stance, but I there there was talk like Rachel Balkovic was infamous for not wanting to use that ball strike call, right. that ball strike challenge. You know, you have guys who come out and come down and read in rehab. DeGrom didn't want to use it. Yeah, you know, I remember someone came into the press box five minutes before he started. They're like, hey, guys, just so you know, he's not doing the ball strike challenge. Because I sat directly to the right to the official score. So you need to know that stuff. And I was privy to a little bit more information, like all the right. stat cast numbers and that type of stuff, too. Right. But he, DeGrom didn't want to use it. And that's fine. There were guys that came down to rehab and used it. I forget who it was. Someone for the tires was rehabbing when they were in St. Lucie. He used it. He used it. You know, rehabbing guys last year had the option. You can use the pitch clock or you don't. Your call. Some guys used it because they were like, look, it's coming. I might as well start using it now and get some exposure. It's fair. Guys like the Grom were like, well, I don't need it. We're not using it. So why am I? Why would I use it? Right. Fair is fair. Everyone's got their own opinion. But look, I, I liked it. And it's not like it's, you know, you stop. You turn around, you pull out the iPad yourself, you're getting on the headsets. They're already in constant communication. Batter or pitcher or, or coach, whoever's calling the challenge, does this. 
the umpire turns up. We saw the one clip last year. Where it was just you know a tap on the helmet, and that's an automatic. Right? Challenge. Yeah, the guy, the team, the player, coach does earphones. The way I saw, I the way the Mets did it was player yeah. earphones. Umpire does that, and then they just double check on the on the iPad. Yeah. So I mean, it it worked just fine. Again, no problems with it. Or sorry, I got that so backwards. Humans called the games on the weekends. Okay. You know, you had an ABS there for challenging balls and strikes. Right. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because I never saw it. I never saw the fully auto. I saw how it was set up, and they showed me how it worked. You but see, I never, I, I, I never that's... called a game with the fully automated ABS. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you got three challenges per side of the ball. Games called by human, but you still had the ABS. Um, you still had the guy there with the tablet and the headset. So just headphones, home plate umpire turns around, hand on his head. He just presses. It's it's like a fucking drive through window. Presses the button. Yeah, it wants the ball. Um, if it's call stands, is just that, just a safe sign. If it's a strike. It's a ball, and it, it worked because it takes two seconds. Like, and I I think if there's gonna be a way for a lot of the the fans like myself who are old farts who still appreciate the traditional style of the game and herp derp 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 derp, it'll be that kind of style where that was very it's still of you. Thank you. <laughs> it'll still be, you know, someone behind the plate calling the game. They're not fed whether it's a strike or a ball. They make the call that they see, but you have those challenges where if Pete Alonzo says, mm, I don't think that that was a ball. So he goes like this, and then you see up on the Jumbotron or whatever. Right. And you're going to, you're, I you're, feel like that's, you're definitely going to have, you're going to be able to convince fans to accept it. And you're definitely going to have teams that are not going to use it. Right. You're going to have teams that are going to be very staunchly against it because you're going to have these old fashioned. Like, if the Marlins still had Mattingly, I promise you the Marlins would never challenge a single call. But you're going to have Angels some teams. Will not will not challenge a call with Phil Nevin. That ain't going right. to happen. But the Mets probably would. Aaron Boone yeah. would be all over that. Kevin oh, yeah. Cash, all Kevin over. Kevin Cash it. Would, would use his challenges by the end of the first inning. Right. No. And that's the other thing is there were some teams, I think it was like the Lakeland Tigers, only the manager could make that call. Only the manager could challenge pitches. The Mets let guys challenge it on their own. You know, Robbie Robinson was very laid back. He let guys challenge them on their own. But like, right. you know, yeah, it's it's like it's like a green light. It's like having an automatic green light. Right. You know, if you fuck up, you fuck up. And we're going to remember, you might say, like, look, you can't do this. Right. You know. Oh, God. What's an example? You know, not to pick on him, but Jack Thomas Wold, you are 0 for 5 challenging pitches this week. You're done. <laughs> you, you, you need. I need to call him for you. Yeah. You know, it's the same. It's the same way as like getting a three zero green light revoked. Some guys like Jeff McNeil, I'm sure, automatically has a three zero green light. But you might be like, he won't use it very often. But right, but he he has it. Whereas then, if he suddenly is swinging and missing at ball four multiple times on three zero, you're like, all right, Jeff, let's for yeah. a little bit. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. You know, so you're gonna have teams like the Tarpons who never use them. You're gonna have teams like the Tigers, who's manager only. You're gonna have teams like the St. Lucie Mets, where Robbie Robinson kind of let whoever use it. Right. You know, and it's it, it'll be very interesting. I think that's a happy medium. Is an ABS guy there for ball strike challenges? And if it takes two seconds, it takes two. Like you're you're not going to notice it. Legitimately, you're not. It's 
especially with the game being 30 minutes quicker and you're having 30 minutes less time of non-baseball stuff in a baseball game. Right. The game's going to be quicker. And that's that's you're you're not going to notice it at all. Look, it's it's a great rule. Everything they've been trying in the minor leagues has worked. It's not like shit they're fucking around with in the Atlantic League. You know, where it's a joke and the guys are making less than five figures and they have other jobs they work aside from this thing. Right. You know, this is like yeah, I can see stuff from the Savannah Bananas. Like that that's right. Yeah. This is like this isn't the it's like, oh, a fan, a fan catches a foul ball, batters out. That's not how that's that's gonna work. No, it's um look, it's it's interesting. It it'll be very interesting to see what happens, but I do think Human called games with I don't know if it'll be three strike like three three challenges each side per game, then you get one for both sides per inning. You know I don't know how they're gonna do it. I think right. eighteen challenges allotted per game would be a lot. That's obsessive. obsessive but you know there are gonna be some innings where you're just not using it. But then again, it's like legitimately the process. If you're the umpire, is, I feel like it'd either be three per side per game or five total. No, I mean here's the process if you're an umpire. That's it. <laughs> That's all it takes. Right. It's it's incredibly nonchalant. I mean, it's the same as it's it's almost as quick of a process as a hockey official calling a delayed penalty. Right. You notice it, you see it, you take note of it because it's important. But it's not like they're stop it's it's not like they're stopping the game to do it. You know, the ball's being thrown back to the pitcher anyway, who's then spiking off his cleats and getting set. Mm-hmm. It legitimately takes less than five seconds. Yeah. But all the rules they're implementing have been good. I, I like all of them. I mean, there's not, there genuinely is not a one or even the some that are kind of in limbo, kind of proposed. You know, it's I like, know, I, I, I still got like the elimination of arbitrations being bandied about. I, I'm still not a huge fan of the pitch clock, but again, look, man, the... we're, we're, how north in Jersey are you? I'm half an hour from the city. Go, go to a Cyclones game. I've gone to a Cyclones game. Go to, go to a couple this year and just but like actively try and take in how different the game is with because when when I was when I go to St. Lucie games just for shits and giggles as a fan with my dad with my girlfriend friends my grandparents whatever I'm just there having fun we're spending a half inning in the team store watching on the TV right walking around the concourse looking at trying to look at some of the backfields out at the formerly I mean, listen, known go as to, the Jim going Burden to a minor league game bar. that's just a fun time what. Well, the point I'm trying to make is the difference, different approach I took covering it as a credentialed reporter was I was trying to take in how actively different the change of the games are. Right. And I mean, the biggest problem I have with baseball sometimes is I look up and I'm like, shit, it's only the fourth. Right. I, I get it. I get it. And the games just aren't like that. I mean, they're a little bit like that in spring training now because of all the substitutions and you're still figuring the rules out and all that. Right. But it never happened in St. Lucie. If anything, I was like, holy shit, it's already the fourth. It's been 45 minutes. Yeah. I mean, we would be borderline. No, I mean, I would look at Bill Whitehead next to me, the St. Lucie decider, as he calls himself. He was the official scorer, still is. And it'd be the seventh inning, and we're like an hour 30 in. He's like, do you think we're getting out of here? He's like, you think we're doing this under two hours? I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, we had games that were done in 155. We had 13 run total games that were done in 230. And granted, in the MLB, you're going to have longer commercial breaks because of more sponsoring and all that. And it's fine. You know, you're going to have the occasional 
you got to hold up the inning an extra 30 minutes because ESPN isn't back from commercial or whatever. Like, it happens. Sure. But as a whole, the games are going to be much easier to digest. And the biggest problem baseball has right now is how many people have to do something else while watching baseball? So how many kids my age are doing their homework while watching baseball because they need to be doing something else? Right. You know, it's, it's hard to watch a hockey game or a football game or a college basketball game and take it in while doing something else because you're always – because it's continuous play. You're going to miss something. Yeah, I mean, going that's to – That's the challenge what, baseball has as a, as a non-continuous play sport. Going to the Mets game um, a couple of days ago, I forgot who we were playing. I think it was against the Astros. There was a game, 19 runs, 25 hits, 11 walks, four homers, two errors, two balks, and a bunch of pitching changes, two hours, 58 minutes. That's a four-hour game. Minimum. <laughs> that is a four-hour game. So like I get it, I get it, but I still I'm not fully there. And again, I know it. When it comes to watching baseball, I'm an old fart. I I still appreciate the good old hit and run and bunting the man over and sack fly with runners on third. Listen, I'm that old fart. I get it. I just I think it's a lot of it's posted in the wrong light. Because you're not because. And you're thinking to yourself, 250 to 220 is not a huge drop. It's only 30 minutes. But that's 30 minutes of non-baseball. Right. Because in baseball, you have roughly 25 minutes of play per game. Of things happening, shit being in play, pitch being live. About 25 minutes of it. So now you're going from about two and a half hours of non-baseball to under two. That's a big change. You're cutting that by 20. Right. I mean, that's the challenge you have as a non-continuous sport. But I, I, I look, I love them. I think they're good. I think they will grow on people in time. The same way we'll that I, I don't, in I don't five years, it. no one's going to think twice about the extra inning rule. The greatest rule to ever hit oh, American man. sports. Oh. Yeah, I don't care for that. I, I'm, I'm, I don't care for that. It's the greatest rule to ever hit America. I don't know. Look, it's I, I look at it in the same light as hockey going to three on three in overtime. Like, listen, you need to do something to speak. Look, if you were doing if you were doing 10 minute five on five periods in hockey in overtime, mm-hmm. h- how many two two games would be going to a shootout? What's to be going to shootouts instead of ending three two? Yeah, a lot more. If anything, baseball needs offense and needs less downtime. They are cutting down time. The extra inning rule incentivizes offense. But that that rule mixes into the pitch clock in a sense. You are just cutting time. Look, I mean, there are ways to beat everything. There are ways to beat the two the, the extra inning rule. Potentially walk the first guy, and now suddenly you got to force any base double play chance. I get it, but you're also adding more risk. There's... There's still strategy with the whole automatic runner on second. I get it. I don't tell me you're one of those started after the tenth inning people. Okay. Because one of the I, I think one of the worst things you can do in sports is change the rules just to fit high leverage situations. I mean, the play clock suddenly isn't 50 seconds in the fourth quarter in football. Right. You know, the shot clock doesn't go to 28 seconds if you're inside six minutes. You know, like you don't get an extra attacker in hockey because you're inside 10 minutes. College basketball, you don't get two, like the foul out doesn't go from five to six 
because you're in the fourth because you're like in t- un- after the under eight in, in right. the second half. You play a blanket all the way through. And to be fair to that, I would rather baseball just keep the regular rules and the extra innings than get rid of a rule halfway through. If if you're gonna if, if, if the rule for the extra if, if the thought for the extra inning rule is oh well let's just do it in the eleventh inning and after, just don't do it at all. Now I, I will it's say either that, do like, it starting in the tenth or don't do it at all. Like if, if I were all or nothing. If I were an employee of the league, the network, whatever it may be, I could see the benefits of it there. Are you gonna get in trouble with this? As a fan. As a fan, I don't care for it. As a fan, I love it. Look, baseball needs runs to cross the plate. I would rather a 7-5 game in baseball than a 2-1 game. I don't think that's a hot take at all. You need offense. And the thing is, baseball is going in a way with the way pitches are being developed now to minimize offense. You Mm -hmm. need ways to push that envelope. And look, I think hockey, the, the the great way hockey does overtime, part of it is it's if it's done, it's done like that. You're right on the shootouts. Yeah. I mean, it's what, a five-minute period? Five-minute period. That is the same as putting a runner on second. That's that's the baseball equivalent of putting a runner on second base. You are minimizing the time it's going to take to get from to, – to be in this post-regulation period. Mm. And that's something you need because – I mean, how many times is a game going to extra innings and you're groaning, not only because you couldn't win it in the first nine, but you're like, ah, shit. It's already they don't win it in, in the next five. It's already 1030. And you're going to get games like the Mets had. I think it was in, oh, I forget when, but like you're just trading blows back and forth. You know what my favorite games are nowadays? You go to the 10th inning, first team puts up four, second team comes back and smacks five and walks it off. Those are fun. It's fun. Sure. You're creating new, but that's what baseball means. But you, but you could do we the same thing without the runner on second. Like you. We need less old parts. You could do the same thing without the runner on second. No, you can't. Sure you can. You're the fucking Mets and Marlins going nine innings again <laughs> with like six total hits. Look, you're telling me you don't want to see a situation where you got Edwin Diaz up against Jazz Chisholm to lead off the inning, John Birdie on second base. I don't want to see John Birdie on second base. But here's the thing is that to a casual baseball fan. Because here's the thing. I know for a fact John Birdie is scoring on some wild ass shit play that won't happen again. But because it's John Birdie and because it's against the Mets, it'll happen. And that's how the Mets lose by a run. The rules, the new rules are making baseball fun. And that's what baseball needs. It's been great. But great I didn't have fun. a problem with the length of the game. But I could re- sit and watch a three-and-a-half-hour Mets game and then just flip over to another channel and watch a three-hour and 15-minute Pirates and fucking Cardinals game. But there aren't a lot of people like you. I'm fully aware of that. I'm but a that's maniac. the problem. Baseball as a whole, I'm not going to say baseball's dying. But here, here's the best way you I need can to get the younger fan. I get it. If you go on ESPN.com. Right. MLB, that tag is up there from the banner is up there from April to October. Mm-hmm. November hits, it's gone. Right. 
NFL, NBA, NHL, NCAA football, those are up there year round. Right. Baseball's not. I mean, Rob Manfred hit the nail on the head unintentionally. It's a regional sport. And I was <laughs> a kid screaming. I don't know if you hear it or not. No. But I <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I mean baseball's a regional sport, and that's a problem they need to take care of. Right. And a great way to make baseball unregional and make it a national sport again is to one, make it fun and two, make it different. Because what's yeah. been working, what's been what they've been doing is maybe working for baseball fans. But you need to you need sports fans. Look, I'm not a fan of the NBA. I loosely follow the Celtics because my dad's friends with Sean Graham, the radio play-by-play guy. I, I I loosely follow the Celtics. Right. But if they're if they're on, I'm gonna put it on. It's the NBA. Sure. You know, I try I was trying to stay up to date with Ke- with uh Kevin Durant's debut last night for Phoenix. Oh, unintentional, but you know, know. it's just I know. But like even like fucking Victor Wembeana. The Nets suck. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm I'm keeping tabs on the seven foot five freak, mm-hmm. and I'm not and I even hope he continues fan. to get dunked on so his stock plummets and he falls to where the Suns are supposed to pick. Because that way, that's the only way the Nets gets. It. I'm not I'm not going to go on a different thing. I'm not going to talk about a different sport. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Here's the, but here, but the thing is, I'm not an NBA fan. Mm-hmm. I'm really not. And I still I still turn it on. I was not a hockey fan until this year. I'd watch the Stanley Cup playoffs every year. Listen. Because there's nothing better than playoff hockey. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you there. And playoff baseball the is a top tier sport. I'm not the biggest hockey guy either, but playoff hockey is a different breed. Hockey, when that's it's, just when fun, man. Good hockey is a top tier sport, right? But it's starting to be pushed nationally, and a large, a huge part of that, huge part of that is ESPN, right? I mean, a huge great reason I was able to start to become a hockey fan and an Abs fan is because every team is available through ESPN Plus, right? I watch every Avs game that isn't a national game on ESPN Plus. Or aside from the when they play the Lightning because it's blacked out. Right. But, I mean, look, and a, a huge thing coming up for baseball is what's going to happen with these Bally sports teams. I mean, baseball really has what a chance. What the going to happen? Baseball really has a chance to try and put its foot down and be like, look, we're going to be back on the national stage. Mm-hmm. Because there's no reason Francisco Lindor can't be a nationwide athletic superstar. Sure. He's a baseball superstar. But, I mean, he's a recognizable face. He's different. He's out there. And he's a superstar. But, like, Lindor has the 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 benefit of the Mets being – of the Mets having their own network with SNY. Like, Julio right, Rodriguez but- has Seattle because they have root sports. But what about – to bring up big again, ones, a big Carlos Correa. Well, I mean, a big one's going to be Minnesota. Like they're a Valley sports guy. I mean, Javi Baez in Detroit. Spencer Torkelson. He sucks. I get they it. Suck. But like, they're both bad. I get better examples. Here, I'll give you one. Yeah. If he pans out and the Reds have Ellie De La Cruz hitting 50 homers and there stealing go. 50 bases, hitting there 300, is baseball going to be able to market him? Shh. Fucking Shohei Otani. There is no other athlete in sports like him. He is a god in Japan. He's a god everywhere. He's going to get if, a $500 million dollar contract. If you show, let's say, 100 casual sports fans, show him a pic, show them a picture of him. Are they going to recognize him? Show him? Yeah. Yeah. 
I'd say probably 10. I'd say probably 10 casual sports fans would recognize Shohei. Out of how many? 100. I sports think fans. I sports think it's fans. far more than I'm not saying fans. casual baseball fans, casual sports fans, people who have ESPN on their phone, but don't have I'd say on. I'd say at least half. I disagree. I mean, do, do you remember when it was more sports fans could pick to recognize Kenneth Fareed over Mike Trout? Yeah. Baseball's not a national well, sport. A, and they and currently listen, have a two way super. I love Mike Trout. Mike he is Trout's a walking the greatest Hall of center Famer. fielder of all time. Sure. Absolutely. But going back to the whole international factor, and he looks like a generic white guy. Yeah. They, again, like, Bingo. He looks like a like a default, like the default guy I wrote to the show. Mike Joe Trout Randall. looks like a random guy named Mike. Yeah. Shohei Otani, he stands out. He's an I, international I, superstar. But he's not a superstar here in the States. I think you can go to any Memphis Grizzlies fan and say, hey, do you know who this guy is? They may and they're going to say no. I don't know. They may not be able to name him, but they can say, I definitely know who that is. I've definitely seen his face. I don't think that's true. But baseball has a chance now with this Bally Sports thing. And look, you're not going to be able to buy out Root Sports. Or yes, right. Nesson, right. SNY, Comcast. Very well, no, Comcast is part of Bally. But, um, or like, what is, no, Comcast isn't, what does Chicago use? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Oh my I God. I think it is Comcast. It's going to piss me off. No, it's not Comcast. Because oh all the Fox Sports God. became Bally. CSN, right? I'm going insane. Oh man, I really hope this isn't like somehow tie into your job. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Marquee. Thank you. Right. So you're not going to be able to buy the rights from Marquee, Root, SNY. Yes, whatever. Right. But these Bally sports teams. That's 18 different local RSNs. That's Bally. So who are the ones of them. that aren't Mariners, Giants? No, the Giants are Bally. What are the Dodgers? Dodgers are um uh they're not they're not Bally. They're something they're in LA. Yeah, they're on they're their own place. Right. And it's unfortunate for baseball that a lot of these Bally the sports Padres teams. Though. Right. They're Bally Sports San Diego. Yeah, but it, and the, the Brewers the Padres are probably the most high profile team. But I think a problem they might run into is the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees. Arguably right now the four most recognizable franchises in baseball. They're on the Giants, too. Right. Because the Giants aren't Bally either. Right. Five The five most recognizable franchises in baseball you can't do anything with. Right. But they're do, they're really not having a problem doing it on their own. Sure. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I think this is a huge chance for baseball to really kind of try and elevate itself back onto a national stage. Yeah. We've been going at it for a while. We're going to hard um, pivot to our last topic. I'll, I'll turn the mic to you. How do I? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mute my mic. I've been getting pretty animated, so I'm sweating underneath this hoodie. I'll be right back, and I'll uh, I'll come back to wherever you are. No, you have to stay and hear this. While I try and unplug this, it's not working, so I want to hold it. Oh, boy. Hold on. Please hold. Holding. Okay. I have a handheld now. My microphone is now handheld. I I am just going to say 
Did you go to Marquette? Slater has a Marquette shirt on. I can't hear you. Nope. Okay. As a society of Mets fans, as a group of Mets fans, we are past the need for the yearly Bartolo Colon training video. Man is damn near 50 fucking years old. He doesn't look like he's eating quarter pounders. He looks like he's eating 50 pounders. Yeah. Can you oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I was still muted because I'm a jackass. Um, we, we, we don't need this. We can stop. We are done with this. Um, Bringing Bartolo Colon back is, the, at this point, the equivalent of signing Tim Tebow. And I say that as a Mets and Broncos fan who lives in Gator country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's, yeah, it's a money grab. It's huh? stupid. There is no need for this. There There's is no absolutely need. none. He's he provides 50. nothing of value. He's almost 50. Mind you, remember, he's a horrid person. This man hid a second family from his main family, but like honestly, then neglected them both. Him being being a bad person aside, we don't. That's we don't need it. I would rather we need to be involved as people, as as a a fan base. Fans. This is a team that just won 103 freaking games last year. You have active Hall of Famers on your pitching staff. You don't need. Bartolo Colon here. I'm like, if the world, if the Mets are in a spot where they need Bartolo Colon this year, Billy Epler is getting fired. Buck Showalter is getting fired. Steve Cohen is getting arrested for murder. I was going to say he's probably in jail for insider trade. Steve Cohen's probably killed someone out of anger at this point. Just, just stop. Stop it. Stop. Look, I. It's, it's not like when the Celtics. Like in in during the COVID time and all that, when a million players are in safety protocols, when teams are bringing older guys back, like when the Joe Celtics Johnson. brought back Joe Johnson, like it's it's, so it's not like when the like, like when the Jets and the Eagles had Josh McCown as their backup at thirty nine. Right. This is not the same. No. This isn't even Nelson Cruz and Albert Pujols hanging around the chase milestones. Right. It's not the Pirates bring back Andrew McCutcheon. No. I should start doing this more often. I like the handheld. That's why I do it, brother. But we're we're done with this. We we need to end this. I need to find a way to hook this up to my phone. This would be so helpful in St. Lucie. Maybe I could. I don't know. I'm sure you need to get some adapter. And figure I'm it out. sure 30 bucks on Amazon and I'll lose it like I lost the other one. Right. But we, we, we just we got to let it go. I would rather the Mets bring back R.A. Dickey. Then they bring back Bartolo Colon. It's you know what? It's episode fifty-seven. I'd rather them bring back Johan Santana than Bartolo Colon. Does Johan even still have a left shoulder? Who cares? That's better than Bartolo. <laughs> like end it. I'd I'd rather the Giants sign Daniel Jones to a fifty million dollar a year contract for five I years. Go that far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, no, but you know, as no, a lifelong yeah. Giants fan, they need to do it. You as a lifelong Giants fan. <laughs> Think Timo Meyer should be suspended. No, get out of here. Jack Hughes banned from the league. That's your profile picture, guy. That's your profile picture hey, until hey. the Avs win a game. Full, full, they're about to whoop the shit out of Dallas tomorrow night, but 
Look, look, the defending champs are getting hot. Kale McCarr is on the way back. They started the fourth string goalie last night because Francois snapped his leg. McDermott's not ready to play. Yeah, Georgiev's just scared. Georgiev just shut out Vegas the night before, so you watch your mouth. <laughs> look, the, the defending champs are hot. They're 0-2 when I've seen them, but for a lead, it doesn't have a lot of fights anymore as it used to. I've seen three in two games. That ain't bad. That that's pretty good. Yeah. I made it down to Tampa not too long ago. But let's let's just end the Bartolo clone stuff. He that, wasn't that's... I didn't even, he wasn't even that fun when he was here. For a society that is now very anti anti like body shaming, a lot of people just liking Bartolo because he's because he was fat. It really isn't a good look. Name one reason Bartolo Colon is fun other than he's fat. Uh the home run. That was fun. The behind the back against Miami was fun. End of list. So two moments over his four years with the Mets. I don't know if it wasn't that long. I would have preferred. But here's but either, the thing. Either way, either way, either they, way. It was the fact it was an offensive thing he did as a pitcher in a league with now a universal DH. And a weird defensive thing he was only able to do because it was Justin Bohr in the batter's box. Happy retirement, Justin Bohr. Man, hit tanks in the derby that one year. He was an angel at one point, too. He sure was. But Angels wasn't Justin, Justin Bohr. Just, just stop the Bartolo shit. Yeah. It, it's done. Let's give it a rest. It's done. I'd mm-hmm. like, just, just pitch Denny Reyes. Run Jose Budo out there. Phenomenal last, by the way. That dude's got a wagon. I mean, with the last name like Budo, he better have a wagon. I mean, come on. You're speaking my language. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. this is where we end. Yeah. <laughs> I think we ended on the Budo comment. Look, we've been at this for an hour and a half. Give it a rest. Give it a rest. But we will be back next week. We've already decided we will record one more time before the World Baseball Classic. Uh, a, then, we might be able to do this next week from St. Lucie if I can get to the park early that's enough also a great or stay point. late enough. That is great. If point. I get approved, or worst case, we're giving you a nice quick episode of a what's going on at Port St. Lucie. Eh. Go check out the bullpens. Mm. I'm pretty sure press passes give me on field access. I can go look at the bullpens and left field. Record from out there. We'll figure something out. Then the new name of the bar. Although I love the Jim Bourbon Bean. Jim Bean Bourbon Bar. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I'm not even going to attempt that one. Words are hard. Now imagine saying that after a lot of Jim Beam. I'd rather not. Hey, yeah. <laughs> For Antonio Slater. Jack Ramsey, the producer we do not have. We're on producers. Spring training edition. Should have a couple more coming your way. Keep some eyes and ears out for potential guests mm-hmm. that we are trying to cook on. Not cook on, but cook definitely in- not cook on. No, we would not. I, I can't. We, we would never do that to the friends of the show. On these guests. <laughs> but we are cooking on. Finding guests. Bam. We have one that we were trying to work together. Mm-hmm. I might Several become the offensive Lucy. I am trying to see if I will be able to cover the St. Lucie Mets again this year. Mm-hmm. Still working on that. Might be live from St. Lucie next week. But, but as always, as always, LFGM. LFGM.